One of the sponsors of the Recapturing the Future podcast is forum software Fusion BB. Fusion BB developers pack Fusion BB with features for both site owners and users to make your community a success right out of the box. Visit us at fusionbb.com. On behalf of Dreamers Empire, we'd like to welcome you to the Recapturing the Future podcast. From computer-driven cars to monorails, from smart houses to floating cities, from spaceports to interstellar travel, in the spirit of the innovative and forward-thinking concepts of the great world's fairs and Walt Disney's experimental prototype community of tomorrow, we cover the technology and exciting concepts of future living. So join us today as we recapture the future. like to welcome you to the Recapturing the Future podcast. My name is Bob. This is our first episode, so we're going to spend a few minutes talking a little bit about what the podcast is about, what we hope to accomplish, and what are some of the subjects we're going to cover. Recapturing the Future is the tagline for a site, I guess an idea, called Dreamer's Empire. So Dean, tell us a little bit about what it's all about. Dreamer's Empire was, you know, largely inspired by Walt Disney. I mean, here was a man who built this incredible empire just from some dreams that he had, some fun and exciting dreams that included his great visions of the future. And you and I have always held an interest in the future, uh, just the kind of future we used to see as, as young kids and teenagers. Uh, they projected what life would be like 10, 20, 30 years into the future. And so basically we felt in the last oh, 20 years or so we've really lost that kind of fun and exciting vision of the future. So we want to just rekindle that, look back at what that was all about and, and uh, just get excited about the future again. Yeah, I remember growing up in the uh, 60s and 70s how much anticipation there was about the future. Uh, We had just entered the jet age. Uh, The space program had just begun, so the uh, prospects for space travel were very real. Uh, Computers were being miniaturized, uh, so we were seeing them used uh, more and more, and there was a lot of innovation in that area. We could actually see where the computer could even be brought into the home and used to automate tasks in the home. There was a lot of discussion centered around uh, the kinds of transportation system that would make uh, urban life much easier, uh, like monorail systems and high-speed rail. And so there uh, really was a lot of excitement during that time. And I remember our first trip to uh, Walt Disney World when we got to see Epcot Center. The uh, first whole half of Epcot Center is called Future World, and it uh, put on display some of the innovations that were currently going on and uh, there were also uh, pavilions and attractions that showed 
uh, what life might look like for the family in the future. And one of those, and we'll be talking about that uh, probably in a later podcast, is that pavilion called Horizons. And of all the pavilions at Epcot, that was the one that uh, was really the most inspiring for showing what the future really could look like uh, for the family. So one of the main goals of this podcast is to hopefully recapture some of that excitement for the future that people once had. Yeah, and as you said earlier, there's other people out there that share that interest, and we'll hopefully be talking to some of them. We'll uh, pass on some of that information, and we'll be looking at some of the even uh, previous exciting visions of the future, like with the World's Fairs, which is what, of course, Epcot was really like uh, a permanent World's Fair, if you will. Yeah, I think uh, the... uh... The World's Fair of 1939, was it 39? Yep, 39. 1939 was uh, really, um, really looked at what the future might look like. And, of course, when from that standpoint, they were looking at the future in, like, the 50s or 60s. And uh, there was a lot of excitement generated from that World's Fair. And then when you get into the World's Fair of 1964-65, uh, that was more in our era. But that looked at uh, the future... Uh, what it might look like in the year 2000. And I think it's safe to say we haven't really achieved some of what they pictured for the year 2000. No, and the, and that's going to be part of this uh, podcast. Is there's some disappointment, but, you know, uh, there's always um, uh, people out there who, who feel like us, and uh, I think we're going to get some um, good feedback from people. Maybe we'll... Um, well, hopefully the listeners will give us suggestions on other other areas that were very future looking and and that we've lost recently. probably safe to say that uh, this podcast will will uh, feature a lot of Disney content but I think mainly the reason it will feature a lot of Disney content is Walt Disney himself was uh, very committed to the future in fact uh, if you look at his plans his original plans for Epcot uh, in Florida which was the experimental prototype community of tomorrow uh, he had a lot of uh, those futuristic type things in mind I'll give you a question Bob You were right on what Epcot stood for. What did it originally stand for? Uh, Experimental Prototype City of Tomorrow. Ah, excellent. I just watched (laughs) it, so I knew that one. Yes. And and the idea of Epcot was there was going to be uh, 20, 20 some thousand people living there. So yeah, it'll be exciting, and maybe maybe here we could touch on a few of the segments we uh, plan on doing each week. Well, and another segment we're we're going to do is is going to be called the time capsule segment, and that. Uh, what we'll do there is we'll actually take you back in time and we'll 
we'll uh, have some fun audio bites of uh, from the World's Fairs, from back when Walt was uh, designing Epcot, and other other things, so that we can um, kind of recapture that old vision uh, that they had and why it was so exciting to us back then. Yeah, and uh, we'll we'll do different segments. Uh, one of the segments that I've been looking at is. Uh, on something called the People Mover, which is a transportation system that was first introduced at Disneyland in California and later at the Walt Disney World Resort. A simple concept. Uh, it was uh, trains uh, driven by motors in the track, and uh, it just took them, it took people, pedestrians, around Tomorrowland. And Walt actually looked at using that kind of system extensively in his Epcot city. So we're gonna we're gonna delve into that, look at what some of his original plans were, uh, and other cities that may have incorporated something similar to that. One other segment that, and of course, this is uh, you know we're, we'll work this thing through until we get it fine-tuned. Uh, but another segment that we're going to do is, um, uh, I think uh, for a name, we're just going to go with the Dreamers moment. And what that is is, we'll we'll take a person that we feel is a visionary. It doesn't have to be a, a great success story. Usually, they probably won't be yet. But somebody right now who's pursuing a dream, and that person who who fancies the future, and they're trying to change the future. They're trying to do something that contributes. Uh, and so we'll, what we'll do there is we'll interview a person, and we'll start off by asking who their hero is. Like, for instance, um, if their hero was Walt Disney, we'll cover a little bit about some of the challenges Walt had and then so that the, those beautiful moments when success came. And then we'll talk to, uh, we'll interview somebody about their pursuits and, and uh, kind of parallel it to their heroes and, and uh, just talk about the future in, in that regard. We'll keep the website going right now. Um, we're using some. Uh, we're using Fusion BB for uh, the software. And what we'll try to do is we'll we'll try to set up a community there of people who want to get in there with us, talk to us. Hey, maybe we'll. We're certainly open to interviewing you or answering some of your questions. So yeah, we want to make this a, a fun podcast. And like you said, this is week one, so we we had to kind of explain up front what this was about, and uh, we won't do it again. Transit Authority Metroliner nonstop now departing Rocket Tower Plaza Station for a round trip Super Skyway Tour. Welcome aboard, TTA travelers. We hope you enjoy Tomorrowland Transit Authority's Super Skyway. One of the great examples of innovation and forward thinking was the Tomorrowland Transit Authority's Metroliner, also known as People Mover. The People Mover Transit System was introduced by the Walt Disney Company as an attraction in Disneyland in the mid-1950s. Guests boarded small trains that ran on elevated tracks for a grand circle tour above Tomorrowland. 
The attraction's vehicles were always moving. Passengers boarded and alighted by a large, speed-matched rotating platform inside the station. The trains were not powered by motors within themselves, but rather by being pushed by rotating tires, each with its own electric motor embedded in the track. Each car included its own sound system, which broadcast continuous audio commentary and soundtrack which was relative to the train's location. Originally, the attraction was seen as a serious prototype for intercity public transport. Walt Disney envisioned using the People Mover as a widely used mode of transportation in his Epcot city, transporting people within the city center and out to the ring neighborhoods surrounding Epcot. Let's listen to an excerpt from the Florida Project film explaining how the People Mover would have been used in the Epcot city. This towering hotel is the visual center of Epcot, the shining jewel at the center of the city. It will offer tourists and vacationers not only the most modern guest rooms and convention facilities, but also a seven-acre recreation deck located high above the pedestrian and shopping areas of the city. But hidden from view, directly beneath the hotel, is another kind of vital center, Epcot's transportation lobby. Although out of sight to hotel guests, this transportation terminal will play a key role in the city of tomorrow's ability to meet the needs of both visitor and resident. Two separate but interconnecting transit systems will move people into and out of Epcot in speed, safety, and comfort through this central terminal. Both are electrically powered. The high-speed monorail for rapid transit over longer distances, and a concept new to the American city for shorter travel distances the Wedway People Mover. Automobiles and trucks will not be barred from Epcot. In fact, a vast armada of vehicles will continuously flow through the heart of the community, traveling below the pedestrian level on roadways reserved for specific types of vehicles. Let's look at another view of Epcot's transportation hub and see how traffic flows through the heart of the city on three separate levels. At the bottom of the stack is the truck route reserved for supply vehicles. Trucks will have easy access to all loading docks and service elevators for the delivery of commercial goods. The middle level is the automobile throughway, exclusively for cars. Adjacent to the roadway are parking areas for the convenience of hotel guests. For the motorist just driving through, no stoplight will ever slow the constant flow of traffic through the center of Epcot. But automobiles and freeways will not be Epcot's major way of entering and leaving the city. The transportation heartbeat of Epcot will be the two electric-powered systems, monorail and wedway, that radiate to and from the transportation lobby. And the key system in this coordinated network will be the wedway people mover. The first people mover installation is already in daily operation at Disneyland. On peak days, it carries nearly 40,000 passengers. The cars you see here are approximately 5 8 scale, considerably smaller than full-size passenger cars would be for city use. Epcot's People Mover is a silent, all-electric system that never stops running.
cars continue to move, even while passengers are disembarking or stepping aboard. Power is supplied from a series of motors embedded in the track, completely independent of the cars. No single car can ever break down and cause a rush hour traffic jam in Epcot. Because the cars run continuously, there will be no waiting in stations for a Wedway people mover. The next car is always ready. Now let's go back to the transportation lobby and see how the Wedway will travel along one radial between the center of Epcot and a typical residential area. Leaving the transportation lobby, the Wedway trains travel above the downtown streets. Within minutes, the Wedway passes through the first station. Many people who work in the offices and stores of Epcot City Center board the Wedway here for their trip home. Some people leave the Wedway here, too. They live in Epcot's high-density apartments surrounding the Metropolitan Center. Most passengers who ride the Wedway live beyond the apartments and stay aboard the People Mover as it crosses Epcot's sheltering Greenbelt. Epcot's Greenbelt is more than just a broad expanse of beautiful lawns and walks and trees. Here, too, are the community's varied recreational facilities. It's playgrounds for children, it's churches, and it's schools. Beyond the Greenbelt are Epcot's neighborhood areas of single-family homes. This is one radial neighborhood. Here and throughout the community, residents returning from work or shopping will disembark from the Wedway at stations located conveniently just a few steps from where they live. The homes are located in a wide green area that provides light recreation activities for adults and play areas for children. Circulating through this area are footpaths reserved for pedestrians, electric carts, and bicycles. Children going to and from schools and playgrounds will use these paths, always completely safe and separated from the automobile. The resident leaving home in his automobile will drive down a street reserved for motor vehicles. He then enters a one-way road that circles the city center. This road carries the motorist onto the main throughway connecting Epcot with other points in Disney World and with Florida's nearby network of major highways. But most Epcot residents will drive their automobiles only on weekend pleasure trips. From all over the community, residents going to their jobs converge by Wedway on the center city. Many work downtown in offices, stores, and shops. But most employees go beyond the city core to their jobs. From the transportation lobby, monorail trains carry employees either to the theme park or to Epcot's 1,000-acre industrial park. At this central station in the industrial complex, passengers disembark from the monorail and again board Wedway cars that radiate to each facility. This industrial complex will provide employment for many people who live in Epcot. The People Mover was a very bold and innovative vision, but when you consider the problems that we have today with gridlock in most major cities, it's one worthy of considering again.
To help us get a glimpse into the future of this unfinished world of ours, there has been created for the New York World's Fair a thought-provoking exhibit of the developments ahead of us, the greater and better world of tomorrow that we in America are building today. A vivid tribute to the American scheme of living, whereby individual effort, the freedom to think, and the will to do have given birth to a generation of men who always want new fields for greater accomplishment and will always find new things for all others to enjoy. Come, let's travel into the future. What will we see? In 1935, a group of New York City retired policemen had the idea to create an international exposition to lift the city and the country out of the Depression. On a very hot Sunday, April 30th, 1939, the World's Fair had its grand opening with over 200,000 people in attendance. The fair ran for two seasons with over 44 million people attending from all over the world. The New York World's Fair was the first exposition to be based on the future, with an opening slogan of Dawn of a New Day, allowing its visitors to look at the world of tomorrow. Here is an excerpt from the fair's pamphlet. The eyes of the fair are on the future, not in the sense of peering toward the unknown, nor attempting to foretell the events of tomorrow and the shape of things to come, but in the sense of presenting a new and clearer view of today in preparation for tomorrow a view of the forces and ideas that prevail as well as the machines. To its visitors, the fair will say, here are the materials, ideas, and forces at work in our world. These are the tools with which the world of tomorrow must be made. They are all interesting, and much effort has been expended to lay them before you in an interesting way. Familiarity with today is the best preparation for the future. Perhaps the grandest of all the exhibits was the legendary Futurama, an enormous scale model city of 1960, which promised a network of national highways for middle-class businessmen to drive home to their wives. Futurama was designed by Norman Belgettis for the fair with the goal of showing the world 20 years into the future. The GM-sponsored ride was focused on transportation and vast suburbs with a stunning array of miniature highways, towns, a half a million individually designed homes, 50,000 miniature vehicles, waterways, and a million miniature trees of diverse species. Guests waited in line for hours just for a chance to ride the awe-inspiring ride. Check out dreamersempire.com for the podcast posting. And you'll find some pictures, not only of the line, but of the whole attraction. I guarantee you, someone on that day was coming up with a fast pass system. Guests sat in moving chairs, suspended one level above the incredible dioramas of vast suburbs, magic motorways, and various metropolis scenes that thrilled guests with wonderment. The fair closed forever on October 27, 1940. Nothing like it has existed since, except perhaps Disney World. One attendee was quoted as saying, 
in a way we don't need it anymore because we're living in it. This is the tomorrow they hope for. And it's all right, I guess. For some reason, Futurama still sounds more impressive than iPod. We'll be covering Futurama in more detail in future podcasts, including the Futurama 2 exhibit at the 1964 World's Fair. We'll also be discussing Walt's original plans for Epcot, which I'm certain you will find both fascinating and rather disappointing. Futurama was certainly a a ride that um, I think you and I, Bob, look back at and wish we could have experienced it. Yeah, I think uh, it's it's amazing to me that uh, the the amount of crowds that that ride attracted. So it really connected with people. The uh, that that view of what the future might look look like was really exciting. Yeah, and Futurama was followed up by Futurama Two at the '64 World's Fair. So we'll obviously be talking about that in the future. But uh, <clears throat> yeah, so Futurama. Um, it's 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 to me it's night and day. It's it's thrill rides versus um, wonderment, and wonderment is a word that uh, you hear used sometimes, especially with Disney. And that's what Future gave people was that sense of wonder. Yeah, and I, I think that's the same the same excitement that was around seeing Futurama is the same thing we experienced when we went and saw Horizons. And Horizons, it was. Similar to Futurama, of course, not anywhere near the scale, uh, but it was full-size dioramas, which is kind of an interesting uh, view. Yeah, yeah, uh, and of course we'll be covering Horizons in the future, and I think we're going to get a lot of interest in, in that segment. Today you don't see as much corporate sponsorship for uh, that kind of uh, inspirational type presentation, and you know, it's really our hope that uh, maybe even with this podcast, we can spur some of that interest again. And I think it's, uh, you know, I, I know it's it's hard when you've got a bean counter looking at uh, all where all the dollars are going to. But I think there's some value into inspiring people and then uh, inserting your name around that inspiration. happy place welcome Disneyland is your land here age relives fond memories of the past and here youth may savor the challenge and promise of the future Disneyland is dedicated to the ideals the dreams and the hard facts that have created America with the hope that it will be a source of joy and inspiration to all the world thank you first Dreamers Moment segment, we are joined by Brent Dodge, author of From Screen to Theme, a guide to Disney animated film references found throughout the Walt Disney World Resort, and host of The Wednesday Show, a weekly podcast on Wednesday evenings that takes a closer look at the Disney parks, films, and a whole lot more. During the Dreamers Moment segment, we'll look at how young visionaries are in the arena, wrestling through the ups and downs of doing something great. 
we'll also look at their heroes, the men and women who inspired them to chase their dream. And as you can tell from the sound bites, we'll be talking about one of Brent's heroes and a model for all of us, Walt Disney, and talk about some of his high and low moments he experienced as a dreamer. Brent, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for having me. Well, I've known you for some time, sort of through the internet, and saw that you were very ambitious and pursuing these dreams. First off, I'd like to say with all the Disney connections that I've made through Facebook, I, I was really impressed with your endeavor to write this book. When did you get the idea for From Screen to Theme? Uh, the idea came about six years ago. I was actually working on the college program here at Disney World, and a guest approached me with, uh, he wanted to know where all the references to Peter Pan were, and I sat there with him for about half an hour, kind of pointing things out. At the end, he told me, there really should be a book about this. Being the genius I am, I, I never logged it away into my memory, and I just kind of, you know, walked away saying, like, yeah, there should be a book about this. <laughs> and a few years later, the idea kind of came back up into my head, and I, I just figured, you know what, there really has to be a book about this, and I just started working. How long did it take you to write the book? Uh, about two years. Okay. I really enjoyed your writing style. You, you give the reader like a quick three-paragraph summary of the movie and then give uh, guide the reader through the Walt Disney parks in order to discover the references to these classic Disney films. Um, tell us a little bit more about the book. Um, who is it geared for and how would one use it? You know, one of the things that I realized right off the bat was you can't make a book that's just for the people going to Disney World. When you're making a book that's, you know, having the films and the parks together, you kind of have to shoot for both audiences, and you have to come up with a way to hit both audiences. So originally I had it so it was broken up by park, you know. Here you can find Snow White reference, Mary Poppins, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. Finally I realized, you know what, that's just too park central. And I started to go into the whole thing of we need to hit the people who just like the movies as well. So I started doing the three paragraph there the three paragraph summaries of each movie, so the people who enjoy the movies can kind of get a look back at what the movie was about, and then throwing fun facts in there about both the movies and the parks. That way it hits both audiences instead of just a stereotypical audience. I kind of have it so. It's a wide range of audience. I wrote it at around a fifth grade reading level so anyone can read it. You know, any kid can pick it up and they can read it or an adult can pick it up and they can enjoy it as well. Yeah, I, I learned things about the some of the films I hadn't seen. And uh, so I learned a little bit about some of those films that uh, like the Hercules one. And I, I hadn't seen that. And uh, I kind of liken this to um, Finding Hidden Mickeys. Is that, would you draw a parallel there? Yeah, we, I always tell people it's similar to Hidden Mickeys, it's similar to a trivia book, and it's similar to a um, kind of a in-depth look at movie book, too. Yeah, and for me, uh, Hidden Mickeys are, are fine. I'm not a big Hidden Mickey guy, but um, I found this actually to be something more I could relate to because I've always been a fan of the Disney films. And as it, as you know, Disney was really built on films, not, not the parks. So um, tell us a little bit about how Walt Disney influenced you as a young entrepreneur. 
Well, it's the fact that he never gave up on his dreams. You know, there's a lot of people out there that I've met personally who they go for it. They go, they go big. You're thinking, I'm going to make this dream come true right off the bat. They fail. They, that's it. You know, then they'll go into something completely different that they're not interested in. Um, but Walt, he constantly was, you know, he failed several times throughout his life. He went bankrupt several times. And the thing that I really admired about him was he never gave up. He always turned around and started working again on making sure that that dream would come true. And in the long run, they always did come true. Yeah, you know what amazed me is uh, I've been watching a lot of the, like I just watched um, Walt, the man behind the myth, and that experience he had early on where he had to give up Oswald the rabbit, and he immediately hops on a train, and before he, he gets down about that, he's thinking up his next character, which of course is Mickey Mouse. Yeah, and that that's just an amazing point. I always said, just imagine what would have happened if he didn't lose Oswald. I mean, where would the company be today? <laughs> Somehow, I don't think they could have built a theme park around Oswald the Rabbit. That's hard to imagine. It is hard to imagine. Have you ever seen the Oswald short cartoons? Just uh, snippets of it. Okay, I, I've, I've seen about half of them completely fully, and I mean, they're they're entertaining, but there's not there's no real depth of the character. He kind of is always kind of mischievous and. I, I can't really see the whole wonderful Disney name that we know today being built around this mischievous <laughs> character. So yeah, and and not a, around a guy named Mortimer Mouse either. That one would have been a little bit hard to to imagine as well. Yeah, that'd been pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, as you have said here so well, is that Walt is just a man who who uh, persevered through things uh, in a way that most of us do not. Um, but we know he hit lots of low moments. Um, can you perhaps share a low moment in your pursuits, like a moment that almost ended um, your dream? Um, you know, there's there's always times where you'll have different people who approach you, kind of, you, you tell them the idea. Right off the bat, I decided I'm not going to tell people I'm writing this book because, first off, you know, what happens if it never comes to be? You know, what if... I work on it for six months and it's like, eh, it's too much work. I don't want to, you know, worry about it. I'm going to put it aside. So right off the bat, I only told my family and a few close friends. Eventually, I started telling other people about the book. And that's kind of when the low moment starts because then people are like, well, you're going <laughs> to write this book. Okay, sure. Yeah, whatever. You know, most people know that I'm a huge dreamer. I always dream big. I always try to go after these dreams. And, you know, sometimes they they don't happen and people are always just like, okay, whatever. Yeah, I I guess you're going to go out there and you're going to write this book. Sure thing, Brent. Good luck with that. <laughs> and, you know, it's one of those things sometimes when you talk to people during the whole writing process, you do kind of get shot down like, oh, what's going to happen now? You know, are these people going to support me when the book comes out? Are they going to, you know, is it really that laughable of an idea? And you really start to second guess yourself. Like, mm. should I be writing this book? You know, am I just wasting my time? Am I going to stop in a few months and completely forget about it? Or is it not going to be good enough? And, you know, I just wasted two years of my life. <laughs> 
I don't think, uh, you know, and when you go through those times where where people are second-guessing, it's very hard to convince others. I think... Um, I think actually dreaming is a is a more unique quality than we realize. And to me, what what Walt did that that just so few people have done is that he he would value what people would do. He would he would always be open up to possibilities. Whereas I think most of us living today are kind of cynical. So it, it makes it very hard to chase a dream. Yes, it does. <laughs> I'm I, uh, I'm certainly impressed with your book, and you also have a uh, podcast on Wednesday nights called the Wednesday Show. And I know a little bit about uh, why you came up with that name, but can can you explain what's behind the name of the Wednesday Show? Well, the Wednesday Show actually the the whole thought of it came out as kind of a a practice, not a joke, but you know, it, it wasn't going to stick around for as long as I thought it was going to. <laughs> I was just trying to promote the book. And one day I was talking on a chat room with three different people. And I kind of said, you know what, let's, let's do a little video chat and you guys can just write your questions there to me and I can answer them a whole lot quicker. And they said, okay. And so we kind of met up one day thinking it was going to be about 15, 20 minutes Next thing you know, three hours later, we're like, okay, you know, it's one o'clock in the morning. We've got to go to bed. And then we came back a few days later because we had so much fun the first time. And I said, listen, I'm, I was still writing the book, and I figured there's no way I'm ever going to get anything done <laughs> meeting up with these people every single day talking about Disney for, you know, six hours at a time. <laughs> And I said, when's a good day to meet? And one of the viewers actually came up with the idea of meeting on Wednesdays. And she said she was really excited about it. She said, we've got to meet up on Wednesdays because the first three letters in Wednesday are Walt's initials. Right. And I was like, holy cow, you know, that's, <laughs> that's genius. Yep. And so they're like, well, what do you want to call it? Like the Walter Elias Disney Niz Day show? <laughs> and I was like, how about just Wednesday show and we'll put little periods after the W E D and they're like, Oh yeah, we can do that too. Yeah, that was perfect. Uh it kinda reminds me of uh, a line from I think it was Father of the Bride where the guy referred to Wednesday as Wettest Nest Day, which uh, I think of when I think of your show. Uh and so yeah, obviously the W E D is accentuated there and that stands for Walter Elias Disney. Um I had a question here. Um have you ever um thought about or pursued becoming an imagineer? You know, I, I actually have thought about Imagineering um, throughout the years. I You know, I think that's one of those dreams that every Disney nerd kind of has mm -hmm. is someday tackling that horizon. But, um, yeah, you know, like I, I come up with little ideas every now and then like, oh, if only I knew someone who was high up in Imagineering that I could send this idea to and, <laughs> you know, have it so I can come in. But. You know, in, in the future, maybe. Right now, I I'm very happy with what I'm doing with the book and the website and the show. And um, right right now, I I feel very happy and fortunate with how everything has fallen into place for me. And and I think uh, as as we all know, it's we're trying to balance doing those things with everything else we have to do. So I know we'd like to probably dedicate more of our lives to Disney if we could, uh, but. Uh, at least you've pressed on and we've been able to benefit from, from your work. Um, can you uh, just give us like a high moment? What was that, 
that moment where you it just everything came together or or just something broke through or uh, just something that was a real high moment in your pursuits um you know one one of the best moments in this whole crazy process was when i decided to move to florida i decided la- about last year this time that you know what i always wanted to move back to florida i think i'm just going to do it and at the same time my book was just being completed and the publisher said, okay, do you want us to send this to your address? And I said, well, actually, I'm going to be moving. Can you send it to my Florida address? And they said, okay. And it was on the the morning of one of my podcasts. And I, I already had it all set up that I was going to be sharing with everyone that, you know, I'm in Florida now. I'm right outside of Disney. I can go to Disney whenever I want. And all of a sudden, in the mail, I get from screen to theme, my first ever copy of from screen to theme. Mm. And it was just, it was amazing, because all of a sudden, I had one thing I was going to share with everyone, and now I had these two huge things, two life-changing things to share with everyone. And I got on the show that night, and I had a little blue curtain behind me, which was the set back in Wisconsin. And I dropped the curtain and the wall looked different. And they said, wait, what? And I said, that's right. I'm in Florida. And people started freaking out in the <laughs> chat room going, I can't believe you moved. <laughs> and then all of a sudden I said, wait, there's more. And then all of a sudden I pulled out the first copy of the book. And their excitement in the chat room made it all made, made the two years of hard work all worthwhile because you could tell how excited these people were. These people who I have never even met before, but they were so excited about this book becoming a reality too and having me live in Florida and everything just came together perfectly. That was just a perfect moment in my mind. <laughs> that is a good moment. I think uh, it's it's so uh, cold up here right now. I'm kind of envying your uh, move as well. We've My brother and I have been trying to get down there for uh, for some time not happened yet, but we still think it will. Um, obviously, you have a passion for all things Disney. Do you have any other plans or ideas that are churning right now? Well, right now I am working on three more books uh, from screen to theme books huh. for live action movies in Walt Disney World, um, a combination of animated and live action films in Disneyland, and actually, the number one requested book that I've had is Cruise Line. Oh. And so I'm actually I, – I have not started the research yet for it. Well, I, I've done a little bit of research through pictures from my friends who've gone on the cruise lines. But other than that, not a lot's happening. I've never actually been on a Disney cruise. I actually just went to go see the Disney Dream come in the other day. Mm. But that's my extension of, you know – how much I've done with Disney cruise ships. So Okay. So are there a lot of film references on the cruises cruise ships? I'm really hoping so. Okay. <laughs> there must be. <laughs> there, there's gotta be. I, I figure there's gotta be either there or, you know, over at Castaway Key or, you know, someplace. There's gotta be tons. I there's gotta be some someplace. I'm not sure where, but there has to be some someplace. Oh, well, then you'll have to uh, book yourself on a cruise, obviously, to, to finish the book. 
Exactly. <laughs> so that's a good excuse. I like that. That's a great excuse. I'll take it any day. <laughs> well, we sure appreciate you being on our very first episode of uh, Recapturing the Future here. Um, please tell folks out there where they can find out more about your book, From Screen to Theme, and your podcast. Uh, you can find everything over up on my website at fromscreentotheme.com. All right. Well, Brent, thanks again. It's been a pleasure and look forward to talking to you when you write your next book. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me on the first show. I appreciate it. And that wraps up the first episode of the Recapturing the Future podcast. Thank you for joining us. 